Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, guys, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul was telling the church at Corinth to not look at him as an apostle in any high regard, rather just as a servant. He said, you want to regard us as anything, just regard us as slaves, really, slaves of Jesus Christ and stewards of the mystery of God, this wonderful mystery of salvation that he has given through his son, Jesus. He had ministered for many years, gone on missionary journeys. I think he had seen what happens when some people start to worship the leaders. I hate to tell you this, but they actually do this in some places. Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. That was happening back in the church at Corinth. They were, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Peter. And Paul says, guys, Paul was not crucified for you. Apollos wasn't crucified for you. We didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. In verse 7, we saw that they had kind of gotten an attitude of, well, we're special. They think, God needed them on their team or something. He was picking up teams for dodgeball, and he said, I'm going to get all the good players on my side. And so he picked them and called them to be on his team and his family, and they get us this kind of attitude of, good thing God has me on his team, because otherwise we wouldn't win the game, because I'm so good. And God's going nuts, that's why I picked you. The Bible tells us God chooses the foolish things of the world, to confound the wise. He does not need fancy things or real polished things. In fact, I think he likes to just show off. The more rough around the edges the instrument is that he's using, everybody is sure it's not the guy. Like, can't be Izzy. I mean, look at him. He's messed up. And yet God keeps doing miracles. Then they know who the credit really goes to, to the Lord. That's what he wants. Let me show you this. Paul goes on to really drive this point home in the rest of this chapter. And we see it here in verse 8. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has established us apostles last of all. As men condemned to death because we become a spectacle to the world. Both to angels and to men, we are fools for Christ's sake. But you, you Corinthian church, you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, as an apostle, we are both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed, we're roughly treated, and we're homeless. By the way, if you ever feel like, oh, I don't know if God even knows what it's like. I, I, I'm down on my luck, I'm homeless. Let me tell you something. Jesus was homeless. Jesus said, the birds of the air have nests. The foxes, they have their dens. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Here's Paul the Apostle saying, look, we're homeless. Some people, they they think, if you're homeless, you can't possibly be used of the Lord. But our Lord was homeless. And the Apostle Paul himself, right here in the Scripture, declares he was homeless. Take a question. Can God use a homeless guy? To get his message out? Sure. To the Corinthians, they had it all. They were living in a society, we'd just say, overflowing with abundance. They were in that trade route. They had people coming and going. Their commerce was going on. That day, they were the rich. And Paul recognizes, he says, you guys are rich. You're filled. You have everything. We go hungry. We serve the Lord, and we, we don't have it. 
And look at what Paul goes on to say. He says, to this very present hour, verse 11, we go both hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, and we're homeless. When we toil, we work with our own hands. And when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we try to conciliate. We try to answer kindly when they slander us. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs. The very word Paul says, you guys are really rich, have need of nothing, and polished. You're like kings. We are like the scum of the world, pond scum. We're like the dregs, the bottom of the barrel. We're like nothing. Now, some people say Paul had a bad self-image. I don't think so. I think he actually had a real healthy outlook. When it came to sinning, Paul said, I am the chiefest among sinners. He was actually out killing Christians before he was converted. He was not a nice guy. And yet, he said, to whom much is forgiven, they love much. He learned that from Jesus. Jesus said that. Who much is forgiven, they love much. Jesus told that to Peter one day. Who loves more, the guy who's forgiven a little or the guy who's forgiven a great debt? Peter said, I suppose the guy, I suppose the guy who's forgiven a great debt. If some people ask me, why do you love the Lord so much? Because he forgave me a lot. And I know it. Anyone else can give an amen to that? You know the Lord has forgiven you. It's a great feeling. But see, to someone who has not sinned much and they haven't been forgiven much, they're like, well, you know, it's a good thing he has me on their team. Because, you know, I was pretty much already in good. Just had to forgive me a few small indiscretions. I don't know how to tell those people, but it only takes one sin to fall short of God's mark. To miss the mark is only one sin in the books. It's all it takes to keep you from hitting the target, the bullseye. And so... You can't act like you're better than the one that sinned a lot or a little. You've still missed the target. You cannot claim righteousness of your own. We have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your righteousness. Because I can't do it. Now, Paul, Paul didn't have a bad self-image. He just had an image of, really, I'd call this a healthy self-image. He knew he was nothing. In this world, he's nothing. But listen to what he goes on to say. I do not write these things to shame you, but I write them to admonish you as beloved children, as beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And therefore, I exhort you, be an imitator of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, Paul, I think he has something going for him that a lot of Christians need to take note of. He recognized that he was a sinner. He recognized the full working of God's grace, that he was what he was by the grace of God. But he also recognized that Christ loved him so much as a sinner that he said, I accept you right where you're at, but I'm not leaving you there. I heard Pastor Mike Kessler this morning on the radio when we were coming. We were praying for him. I turned on the radio, and right then he said, and some of you may have heard this saying that Christ loves you so much, he accepts you right where you're at in life. All the flaws and everything. But he loves you so much, 
He's not going to leave you in that low state of all those flaws and all those crummy habits. And He loves you so much, He will love you out of those things. He will help you to grow and leave that junk behind. I thought, that's so true. Does the Lord love us that much that He died for our sins and said, I forgive you. They're washed away. But I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you in that crummy place that you're in. I mean, that'd be cruel, wouldn't it? I forgive you. Now, good luck with the rest of that. Figure it out on your own, right? You'd be like, what kind of good news is that? Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Now, some people interpret that he came to give us eternal life and then tacked onto that. The more abundant part is that extra help he gives us from when he receives us in our lowly estate and now pulls us out of the hole we're in and the hole we keep digging and he keeps lifting us so we finally get out of the hole and start to run on the path and then he begins to guide us through this life and they call that abundant life his guiding in this life now i've heard it taught the other way and by the way i don't have the answer for this one i looked it up in the greek could not figure out which one goes where if the abundant life is eternal life and the life he came to give us is the life now you could interpret it that way, or they flip the other way. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, some guys actually argue about this. You go to seminary. I call it cemetery. It's a great place to kill your faith. You know how many people go to seminaries thinking, I'm going to go to serve the Lord, and they come out going, I don't believe in the Lord? Because men wrangle over words. And the Bible says, don't be around those guys that wrangle over words. It leads to the ruin of the hearer. I'm not here to wrangle over Look, you guys get the idea, right? We get eternal life, and we get Jesus to help us in this life here. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you, lo, until the ends of the age. I got you. You're covered. Now, Paul, Paul says something so cool to me. I wonder how many of us could say this to a church. He says to them, Guys, you know, I'm not really anything, but there is one thing. Though you had a lot of great teachers and tutors, you'd only have one father. Father in the faith, so to speak. And he even called Timothy his son in the faith. So he must have led Timothy to the Lord. And in another passage, he says there's no one as like-minded as this young man Timothy was. Paul really saw that he caught the message of what Christ did, that gospel of grace. There's no one as like-minded. And so Paul is going to send Timothy to this church, this rich church. We say rich in materialism. They're wealthy. And he's going to remind you. Now, what's he going to remind him of? I want you to look at verse 17 carefully. Because what if someone was going to remind some other church about you? Listen to what he says. For this reason, I'm sending Timothy to you guys my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. He's going to remind you of my ways. Not, he doesn't say my teachings. He says my ways, my manners, my way I behave. And just as I teach everywhere in the church. He doesn't say he's going to remind you of the doctrines which I have outlined so that you might have all the points doctrinally correct. No, he says, I'm going to have him remind you of how I act. My behavior. Listen to this. So that just as I teach everywhere. 
He's going to remind you of how I act because that's how I teach. By the way, this is how all teachers should teach. You want to know how to do this Jesus thing? Copy how I do it. Not do as I say. Not as I do. That does not float with the scriptures. That would not line up with this. Paul is actually saying, I'll send Timothy to you because he'll remind you how I act. And that's how I teach. I teach by my actions. Actions speak louder than words. You want to know how to do Jesus? What did Paul say? Be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. How many of you could do that for someone who's just starting out in their faith? They're like, I'm so new to this. I just got baptized last week. How do I do it? And you go, don't worry. You don't know how to do it? It's easy. Just copy me. Everything you see me do, just imitate me as I imitate the Lord. You'll catch on. That's how I teach. By the way, is modeling a strong way to teach? One of the strongest forms of teaching that we have as teachers in our arsenal is example. People learn by example. And if somebody is learning the faith and they don't know how to do it, how many of you could say to them, look, it's okay. Just imitate me as I imitate the Lord. I'll just show you by example. I know some people need Jesus with skin on, so to speak. They need someone they can see doing it. So I've been following him for a while. You just copy me as I copy him. Eventually you'll catch on. You won't even need me in the way because you'll just see right past me to the Lord. But you're just new at it. We'll get you started. Paul said, Timothy will remind you that this is how I taught. How many of you think it would be pretty cool to watch Paul the Apostle teach? I mean, go back in time if we could and see this guy, how he taught the Lord. And he was schooled. As far as intellect goes, Pharisee of Pharisees, he had down the scripture. But he didn't use that as the thing that he was going to say, Timothy will remind you that I could quote all of the book of Isaiah. Or Timothy will remind you that I have down the whole Old Testament law. Or that I have the title, Pharisee of... No, he just goes, Timothy will remind you of my ways. How I acted. So that I could teach you Jesus. For me, that's the kind of guy I want to find. The guy who's able to say... And, and by the way, this really does cut out a lot of baloney. If the guy is saying, okay, you can just copy me. As I copy the Lord. If you did that for somebody who's just starting out in their faith, would there be anything you wouldn't want them to copy? Would you be going, um, you can copy me most of the day, but there's a couple hours I need you to just go on a, I don't know, Ross run or something. Go to the Walmart. Or... There's a few things I do, not really what you need to learn to do. If you even thought that for a second, I just helped you identify areas of sin in your life. If there's something that you have to say, no, you shouldn't copy this, because that's not Jesus, then you just figured out how to improve your spiritual walk. See, because this is a very healthy way to assess where we're at in the Lord. Can we say, just be an imitator of me, like Paul did? Even though he was not rich in this world, even though he was persecuted, even though he was slandered, even though he considered that he was as low as the scum, the dregs of the world, he said, Yet I'm still your father in the faith. And I can show you how to do the Jesus. 
Just imitate me. Timothy will remind you. Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy 6? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul actually gave some instructions to Timothy. He's writing to Timothy this letter. And he tells him things that he wants Timothy to teach to people who are rich. Those who are rich in this world. So I kind of can, just from the context of what Paul is sending Timothy to this church at Corinth to remind them of how Paul lived his walk. He then tells them in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, I have some instructions that you need to present to those people who are wealthy in this world. So Timothy probably could have used these very words on the church at Corinth. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they might take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul says, tell the rich people, not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. How uncertain are riches? Can you lose all your riches in a day? Think about all the people that just went through those hurricanes. The islands that were devastated out there, just south of Florida down that way, in the Caribbean area. I mean, there's whole islands that everything those people had, and they didn't have that much to start with, is gone. Scoured off the face of the earth, thrown out into the ocean. Gone. I mean, gone, gone. And you just go, everything you had, overnight, gone, one storm. How fast can we lose everything we have? I mean, literally. Or how about you lose your health? You have a stroke. And that quick, we can lose all the stuff. So putting our hope on the uncertainty of riches, Paul says, tell the rich people not to do that. Instead, he tells them what to really do with their riches. Take their riches and... Help others. God did not make people rich in this present world just to lavish it on themselves. If you've been made rich, you are made rich so that you could be rich in good works. So you could help others and be generous and be ready to share with those in need. And in so doing, Paul says you'll store up for yourself treasures of a good foundation for the future. Like Jesus said, don't store up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Where did Jesus say, put your treasure? In heaven. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. He's telling us, you need to put your treasure up there. We want to have hearts that are heaven bound, heaven tied, because if we would just put our treasures there, we wouldn't get all stressed out about when our treasure down here comes or goes. Because we know we have, a, he says, a good treasure with a foundation that is solid. You know, when you put treasure up in heaven, can anyone break in and steal it? Can moss destroy it or rust? The only reason you were ever entrusted with riches is so you could be rich in good works. So you could be generous. Because what's the scripture saying, Proverbs? Unto a generous man, the Lord, he repays. Whenever you're generous, don't think it isn't going to come back to you. 
I never share with somebody thinking that I'm going to receive back from that person. Because oftentimes the ones God has you share with are not the ones that you will ever receive back from. You're just a conduit to pour blessing to them. But does that stop the Lord from pouring blessings to you? Because you go, oh man, I can't work this out. It was supposed to be that pay it forward thing. They're going to pay it back. Didn't you see that movie, that pay it forward movie? In the movie, did the people who you paid it forward to, did they always give it back? No, but did it come back to the people? Because there's a godly principle in that movie. Whenever you're generous, and by the way, this doesn't mean Christians only. There are non-Christians that are more generous than Christians. And then Christians get envy. How come they're so blessed? Well, because God says unto a generous man, not a generous Christian man, just a generous man, period. This works for believers and unbelievers. Unto a generous man, the Lord repays. But some Christians are stingy. They're less generous than a non-Christian. A non-Christian sees his brother in need, and he's like, oh, here, let me help you. And the Christian's like, I'm not doing that. They're not holy. They're not walking uprightly. Where did the Lord say that that was the requirement to show grace? Where did he make up this rule? I haven't found it. Did anyone find that rule? See, we're supposed to be the people who are storing up treasure. And I found, like the scripture says in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread, it says on the waters. You don't know where it will come back to you. No, so you just be generous all over the place and watch what God will do. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
begins His grace is the key to his kingdom And with grace I know I will be there His mercy doesn't know any limits His mercy never fails to forgive His mercy reaches out to the whole Shows us how he wants us to Oh